Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 5th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. The time that St. Paul and his companions had spent with the Thessalonian Christians may have been short, but the love they had for each other in Christ ran deep. Having been separated from each other by persecution, St. Paul recounts for the Thessalonians the efforts they made to come and see them again. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Paul Pater. Pastor Pater serves at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, glad to be back. So, Pastor Pater, let's get started with a little bit of context here in 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. What do we need to know about this epistle that's going to help us today? Yeah, so um, just a little bit of background. We think Paul wrote this around 51 AD. It would have put him uh, kind of between his second missionary journey and, and his third one. And both on the second and the third, he does go to Thessalonica. And as you were mentioning in your introduction there, the uh, reason they have to leave the first time is there's a, a great deal of persecution that happens. Um, rather violent persecution. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 17, you can see what happens there. Um, Paul goes in and he uh, is in the synagogue um, speaking with the people on three different Sabbath occasions, um, talking to them about the Christ, and a bunch of people are starting to to follow and, and believe in Christ. Uh, but the Jews become jealous, they form a mob, and they basically run Paul and, and Silas out of town. So um, Paul's writing this letter kind of in the interim between when he has left them and, and when he's going to come back again, uh, just to kind of reassure them that even though they're far off because of the, the persecution, that they are um, still very much on the, the hearts and minds of, of Paul and Silas as they um, work through the the persecution issues that they have there in Thessalonica. So again, we're, we're dealing with one of Paul's earlier letters, maybe the earliest letter that we've got from Paul here. We have a pretty good idea of when it was written. Some of his other ones we don't, but this one we're, we're really pretty sure and have a, a fairly certain date of 51 AD for this letter. And that background of his being driven out of Thessalonica as it's recorded in Acts 17, again, provides very important background for what we're going to read today. And again, we'll probably dig into that a little bit more as we, we read. So let's go ahead and take a look at this text, Pastor Pater. Okay. Again, we are in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17, all the way through chapter 3, verse 5. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. There is the text we've got for today, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. 
So, Pastor Peter, in that first verse of the text, verse 17, Paul describes basically what had happened there in Thessalonica, as we read in, in Acts 17, describes it pretty violently, too. He says, we were we were torn away from you, brothers. What do, what do we see there in verse 17, Pastor Peter? Yeah, well, like you're saying, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty violent thing that is, is happening here. It's not like they left Thessalonica the first time of their own volition. They were uh, torn away from them. They were literally getting kind of pulled out of the, the city for fear that the the Jewish people might come and, and try to physically harm them, maybe even kill them. So, um, as the text says, we're torn away from you, brothers. Um, but then Paul really quickly throws in uh, a couple of caveats there. We were uh, torn away from you for a short time, and we were torn away from you in person, but not in heart. So Paul is kind of trying to reassure them and comfort them that, even though the last time they saw each other, it was probably a pretty abrupt goodbye. Um, he is promised that, you know, it's only going to be for a short time. And even though we're, we're far away from you physically, you're still uh, in our hearts that we are endeavoring all the more to see you again face to face. So as we look at this text here, and it talks about that, um, you know, being torn away in person, but but not in heart. I got to think about um, one of the the great things of the church is that it really does transcend time and space. You know, Christ Church covers the entire world. So as you were doing our introductions this morning, you mentioned you're down in Texas and I'm up here in Ohio, um, but we're still part of Christ's one church. Uh, even though we, we serve in, in separate locations, we're still a part of this church. Even though we're separated by miles, we're still um, part of that, that one church, that one family, which I think is really comforting, especially as the people in Thessalonica here are looking at this, this persecution that has really separated these people out, that they're not being able to see each other face to face, that they uh, will have to kind of have to work with maybe sending letters or or going through messengers and things like that, because you're going to see that Paul's going to send Timothy back to them in a little bit um, before he can get there himself. Um, So as we, we look at this, we see this persecution that's that's happening in the church here um but paul says you know he earnestly desires to see them again face to face which i think is actually really telling of of paul's love for these people that he's willing to face persecution he's willing to go back to the place that he was violently thrown out of last time uh, just so that he can go and, and see them again and encourage them in their faith. I think that uh, speaks volumes about Paul and about uh, the church there. Hmm. I, I like. I think there's there's some good things we can talk about here, Pastor Peter, because there there is a a bit of a contrast. So to to go with what you were saying at the beginning, this comfort that we have in the church that time, neither time nor space, separates us who are in Christ. This is a great comfort, and we should rightly take comfort in that. So the, the distance that separates you and me from from Texas to Ohio, even the, the time difference, right? It's it's a whole hour ahead of, of me right now, right? Your eastern time zone, I think. Yeah, yeah, but we're we're an hour ahead. So yeah, you're you're ahead of me in life, and yet, and yet we are together in this this church, which is that that is a fantastic comfort in this life that that in in Christ we remain one. And I, I can think of a, a number of applications. One that comes to my mind that I've I've taken comfort in recently, especially at this time of year, is when the weather gets bad and the. Typically, it would be more in your part of the country or some of our, our friends in Minnesota, Wisconsin, et cetera, those, those northern states. Sometimes the weather up there forces y'all to, prevent, to, to cancel your worship service on Sunday morning. And, and yet, 
you're not separated from the body of Christ when that happens. And and how important then are the the prayers of the people here in Smithville, Texas, when we are able to gather? That that together our prayers are united within that one church. I think it's just a, such a fantastic comfort in this life, and and then too, not only in this life, but but a, a comfort when our loved ones in Christ die and and depart and go to be with Him. There's a there's a prayer from the funeral liturgy that that every time I, I read it, it just it, it's so wonderful. Well, actually, there's more than one in the funeral liturgy that that does this. But for example, give courage and faith to the bereaved that within the communion of your church they may have strength to meet the days ahead. Right. So that that within this church they are still united to the to the one they love. Who has died in Christ, or, or again, help us. We pray in the midst of things we cannot understand, to believe and find comfort in the communion of saints. Right, this this fact that we are united together in Christ, even when we can't see each other, is just such a, a wonderful comfort. So, I mean, Pastor Peter, dig into that one a little bit more, and then I want to yeah. go more into well, the face to face too. As you were as you were talking about that, I was I was thinking about. Um, especially at church when you have members who are are shut into their homes who can't for whatever reason maybe it's it's health or something like that uh that they are not able to be in worship um so often i i hear kind of their biggest um concern is oh pastor i really i really wish i could be at church but you know, I just I physically can't can't do it, um, and that's when I remind the people of of you know the church, you know while it is great to gather together with the believers in one place in a building, um, you know you're still a part of the church, um, even though you can't go into the physical building itself anymore, um, to the point where um, when I was in South Dakota we had a, a nursing homes that had uh, quite a few of our members there, and I would go do service there once a month for our, our shut-in members there. And I would actually, um, when I typed out the attendance for the that week at church, I would write down how many were in worship, but then I would write plus, you know, seven or whatever it was, who were in uh, worship over at the nursing home as well, and use that as kind of a way to... Um, remind the people that, you know, even though you're not physically at the church, you're still a part of the church. Um, and as you were saying before, too, with um, us being up in kind of the, the northern states, you know, I've, I'm born and raised in Wisconsin. I served in South Dakota. And there were times that we didn't have church, like we had to cancel church. And I remember one instance where um, it was really bad weather. We we weren't able to have worship that day. Um, but my wife was like, hey, we should go over and have church, just the two of us. And I was like, well, you know, Jesus does stay where two or three are gathered, so why not? Um, so we shoveled our way over to the church, um, you know, got in, turned the lights on, turned the heat on so we were warm for a little bit at least. Um, and we we're just about to start the service and we had a an old um bell tower at our our church and my wife was super excited she's like can i go ring the bell and i'm like uh sure honey why not the neighbors are going to think we're having church now but that's okay uh, but we had church just the just the two of us there and we were um kind of went through the the service like normal so even though the rest of the folks weren't able to physically be in the building that day, we still got to, to, to worship and still got to, to pray and things like that. So, um, like I said, this, this great thing about the church is that it transcends time and it transcends space, especially as the folks here in our text are, are having to deal with the fact that Paul, this guy who's been so influential for them in, in bringing them up in their faith and encouraging them in their faith, gets taken away from them um, by this this persecution that happened. I mean, I can't imagine um, what would happen if if one of our own churches today faced that. Like, imagine if 
the folks in Smithville came in one Sunday and, and Pastor Apple is, is just gone because a violent mob formed and they kicked him out of town. Um, I'm sure your folks would be just absolutely bereaved and not know kind of what to do or where to go. And this is where uh, the folks in Thessalonica are at of like, what do we do? Where do we go? Like, how do we, how do we do this thing, this ministry thing um, without Paul here? I like the way, I really like the example that you brought out with, I think it was your, you said it was your practice in South Dakota, where you would list the the shut-in members in attendance, those ones that you'd visited and, and yeah. they heard the Word of God and received the sacrament. Because I, and the reason I really, I think that's very helpful is because it centers this matter of the Church's oneness and togetherness in the gifts of Christ. This isn't some sort of vague, oh, I feel your presence sort of thing. Right. No, this is a very concrete thing. You have the gifts of Christ, I have the gifts of Christ, and so we are together. Which I think then speaks to the contrast because that, that is here in the text, because although Paul says, we're not there with you in person, even though we are still there with you in heart, there is still this great longing to be face-to-face. And I, I think that that's something that sometimes is missing within American Christian piety. There's this idea that's out there that, well, I'm with you in spirit, and so it's okay for me not to be there face-to-face, which is not the same attitude that you were describing, the same attitude that I, I hear from, from shut-ins here in Smithville as well, Pastor, I wish I could be in church. Right? There's still that great desire to be face-to-face, because the church is not some sort of vague, mystical, um, non-physical thing, right? The Church is real flesh and blood people who are in Christ together, and so they desire to be together face-to-face in person. And that's important too, right, Pastor Pater? Yeah, well, you know, as you were you were talking about that, I'm thinking about the you know that that oneness that we have in in being together. Um, you know, there are certainly times within our own um, lives, and we see these you know within our own churches of um, that idea of yeah, well, I'll I'll, I'll be there in spirit, like you were talking about, um, or um, oftentimes that can sometimes just be an excuse of, well, I really don't want to be there with you. So I'm just going to say that I'll, oh yeah, I'll be with you in spirit, but I'm really not even that as well. Um, I know there was a time where, um, my dad was a elder at our, um, home congregation in Wisconsin for a while. And we had gotten a, a new pastor that had come in straight from seminary. And my dad told the pastor, um, hey, this is this is Green Bay Packer country. Like, if you preach long on a Sunday where the Packers are playing, um, people will get up and they will walk out. And the, the new pastor kind of laughed it off and said, okay, yeah, sure. Um, and the first Sunday that the pastor got a little bit uh, long-winded, shall we say, um, and kind of went over the the time that was for for church um people started to get up and and started to leave and the the pastor i i saw this little moment where he like stopped his sermon for half a second looked at my dad kind of shrugged his shoulders like yeah you were right um and then kind of moved on but um you know so oftentimes we we let things kind of distract us or, or or pull us from worship and and pull us from one another where here in the text, Paul's like, I would love nothing more than to be with you guys face to face, to see you again. To, you know, he's like I said before, he's willing to face persecution, even violence, um, to see these people again. I mean, that is a love um, that is just beyond all compare. That they're willing to. to go through this stuff to just be with one another is pretty powerful stuff. It, it is. And, and I think that's, that's the point I want to drive home, is that you might think that this oneness that is ours in Christ, no matter the distance and, or time that separates us, you might think that that would be sufficient or, or that that would 
just say, okay, well then we'll just stay where we are. But it's it's actually the exact opposite. That oneness that we have in Christ that brings us comfort when we are apart by by time and space, it actually drives us to want to be together face to face in person, even so much as, as you keep pointing out that that Paul's willing to rip the threat of death to do that. And 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 he's gonna he's gonna as we see as we're gonna see he didn't actually get to come at the writing of this letter that's gonna continue but the fact that he's willing to do so mm-hmm. speaks again to the strength of God's word the power that is there in the gospel and and it's just it's just amazing to see how these themes that Paul has brought out earlier in the letter continue to be at play later in the letter in the first chapter. We saw how, how Paul said the gospel came not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. And, and we saw in chapter 2 how, how that gospel, that powerful gospel, worked the same love that a mother would have for her children or a father has for his children. We, we saw how, how that gospel has been, it's the word of God, not the word of men, and that's what's been at work in the believers. And now, again, we see that same thing happening here in Paul's desire to see these Thessalonians face to face. And so that's that's how verse 18 then continues. Paul, Paul says, look, we wanted to come to you. And even he even singles out him himself. He says, I, Paul, again and again. Like so so the idea was that all three of these men, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, all of them were going to come. And Paul in particular wanted to come. But then it says that that Satan hindered them. Talk a little bit about that, Pastor Peter. Yeah, I, I, I found that interesting as I was looking at the text. You know, he doesn't say, well, you know, it's the, the unbelievers uh, and their persecution that's hindering us. No, he goes, like, straight to the source of um, the persecution. It's, it's not the, the, the people themselves, but really it's, it's Satan kind of working behind the scenes. Um, Satan's going to be using these, these human people to just put obstacles before God's people and before his church. Um, if you look at the, the text from Acts, you see like the governing authorities and the religious leaders of Paul, they, they want Paul to go to prison because they claim that Paul's turning the world upside down um, with this um, talking of Jesus and how he had to suffer and die and rise again and how um, this is, is just so disruptive to the status quo of the way things have been that they just can't stand this teaching. And, and it's, it's not that, um, you know, they are, are kind of free from any of their sinfulness because Satan's the one behind it, but Satan uses human people to, to stand in the way of, of God's people. He uses human agents as a, a means to try to disrupt the church. Uh, and sadly, you know, some of these disruptions even kind of come up within the church itself. Because in Paul's day, who's the ones that are, are trying to get him in trouble the most? It's, it's the Jewish religious leaders. It's the ones that are um, supposed to be um, proclaiming the faith and sharing the love of God with people. And it's these guys that are, are, are giving Paul the, the most grief. Um, and as we think about kind of persecution in our own day and age, I mean, you can see Satan just well at work, just putting people in places to just try to break and hinder the church in any way he can. Um, he's going to find out in the end that he's not going to be able to, of course, break Christ's church, but um, he just can't do that. But he definitely tries to do whatever he can to hinder people from hearing the gospel and hearing that salvation that God has for them. And in Thessalonica, the way he's doing it is with persecution, stirring people up against one one another, causing all sorts of disruptions and, and things that don't bring harmony and peace to the church. He's going to try to stir up whatever trouble he can. This mention of, of Satan hindered us that he gives here, in verse 18, really goes back to what we read in verses 15 and 16 in the previous text, where Paul was reminding the Thessalonians of, of how much persecution 
was coming from these unbelievers. And it, I mean, it's really the way he describes it. They were hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, that these, these unbelievers were doing everything that they could to stop the gospel from being preached. And, and when we were studying that text yesterday, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, well, why, why are they so bent on preventing the word of God? Why do they hate it so much? And, and here you get a glimpse into that, where Paul, Paul says, look, Satan was at work in this. He was the one who was hindering. Think of the, the that Jesus tells, where you've got the birds that come feed that is there on the path, and, and Jesus explains that that's, that's the work of the evil one who comes and snatches the word of God before it even has a chance to be heard. And so to see that the diabolical nature of what was going on there is, is very important. And, and something that is important for us as the church today to keep in mind when we face these obstacles to the preaching of the word of God, to, to recall who is at work behind that. This is the evil one, our enemy, trying once again to prevent the preaching of the gospel, the salvation of, of more people. And yet, and yet to know that our Lord still is at work in his word. And I want to pick that thought up again, Pastor Pater, on the other side of the break, which we are going to take right now. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, December 5th. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 through 3, verse 5, with Pastor Paul Pater of Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church of Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, prior to the break, we were looking at that phrase there in verse 18 where Paul says, Satan hindered us. And I just, before we leave that, I just want you to, to dig in a little bit there. And, and what, is, what does that mean in terms of God's work? Does that mean that, that Satan was somehow able to stop God from doing his work? Or, or how do those things go together? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's not that Satan has this great power to stop God's activity. Wherever God's word goes, it's going to do its work. And it's interesting as you read through like the book of Acts and you see things where there's persecution like there is here in Thessalonica, uh, it's often that because of and in spite of the persecution that the word still does its thing. Um, some of the most um, powerful things I've, I've seen um, in terms of people who are just absolutely devoted to God's Word are places where um, having that Word is, is illegal. Like if they catch you with a Bible, like they can throw you in prison, they can even kill you. One of the most like um, beautiful things I ever saw was uh, this this Christian group who had smuggled these Bibles into a, a country where it was illegal for them to have the Word. And the people, as they got these Bibles, they were like holding them and hugging them and kissing them. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone in our American context do that. <laughs> Um, but overseas, you see this this thing where these people are are so excited to to have this word, even though they know they could get in huge trouble for it. Um, they they value this word so much um, that they they want to be able to 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 share it with those around them, even though it might um, bring about some persecution for them. Um, so it's not that Satan was somehow able to block God's work in this place. Um, it's just wherever um, one roadblock comes up, Paul and Silas and Timothy and the, the rest of them would be like, okay, well, let's 
go over here and and do something over here for a while. Let's go and preach the word and let's go and share that word over here um, with a idea of we're going to come back here. It's not like, oh, we got kicked out of here once and we're going to leave forever. Um, no, they keep trying to go back to these places. This is why Paul goes on three missionary journeys and he hits many of the same places he went in his previous journeys. It's to go back and to be with these people and to share that word, even though they'll face persecution and suffering and threat of death and the whole nine yards, um, they're still willing to go there and and be willing to share that word of Christ with people because they know that the alternative is if they don't share that word with those folks, if those people don't get to hear God's word, um, the alternative is that you know some of these folks might be lost eternally so it's like what do we do to get this word to these people they need it we all need it uh, to survive we all need it to um, know of the love and the grace and the forgiveness that God has for us in Christ and um, Paul and so many others in the faith throughout the centuries are willing to face persecution and violence and death um, even though Satan will try to, to hinder that word wherever it goes, um, God's word still works even in those places where it's trying to be hindered. Mm. So Paul then continues in verses 19 and 20, and, and he, he really starts, again, you see the love that Paul has for these Thessalonians here in verses 19 and 20 at the end of, their, of chapter 2 there. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Isn't it isn't it you, you Thessalonians? You are our glory and joy. What does Paul mean there, Pastor Peter? Yeah, so um, he, earlier in the, the book, he commends their faith. And here, this is just another way of him uh, commending their faith before God, um, that the hope and the joy and their, their kind of crown of boasting before God, um, it isn't look at the great work I did with these people, is it is look at the faith that they have, this faith that was given to them as a gift. Um, you know, it's not a result of their work so that nobody could boast, but um, Paul's able to rejoice over these people um, that he says, you know, these, you guys are our, our glory and our joy because of the faith that you have in Christ. Now, their faith isn't always perfect. There's going to be some false teachings that will creep into the church. You can see that in um, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, where some people say that the resurrection's already happened and things like that. Um, so their faith isn't um, always perfect, but they, they know who Christ is. They know what Christ has done for them. Uh, and Paul says that right there, that's our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting. It's our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. So that when Christ comes again, um, we know that he has rescued us from our sins. He's saved us from death and hell. And these are sure and certain promises from God that we can find throughout the scriptures. I mean, and that's that's the, the joy of any preacher, probably coming from what Paul says here, that on the last day, when we're standing there, that we would look around, and who would we see there? We would see the people that we've preached to. We would see the people that we've baptized. We would see the people that we catechized. What what a joy that will be on that day. And and, and so Paul says to the Thessalonians, this is, this is why we have this great desire to come to you and see you face to face, because we, we know that on the last day we're going to see you face to face, and we want that joy even now. Um, what, what a glorious thing that, that will be. That's, I, I've told my confirmation students, my youth confirmation students that before, that, that this is why. This is why I want you to come to class and listen and let's let's learn these things so that when Jesus comes back on the last day, we'll all be standing there together. And and what a what a glorious thing that will be. Again, you, you see here Paul bringing to the front in this letter to the Thessalonians the matter of Jesus coming on the last day. And that's going to come into sharper focus as he continues into chapters four and five, especially. 
but it's really running. It's a theme that's running throughout the letters. Why we we're looking at these letters right now here in, in the season of Advent, as we think about Christ coming and what a joy that will be on that day to stand there with those that we've, we've loved and known in this life with those we've, we've sat by in the pew and we've sung the praises of God right here. Well, we get to sing with them forever in Christ's nearer presence. What what a, what a great joy that will be, both for pastor and people together. And I think, I mean, just to to put that picture to it, really, oh man, you can you can you can really put yourself in Paul's shoes, whether you're a pastor or or a hearer. To, that that's the joy that Paul's talking about. What what a beautiful thing, Pastor Peter. Yeah, well, and I know um, I had talked with my wife of there's. Uh, a tradition that that can be done for pastors uh, that I talk to her about when I die, um, you know, where wherever I'm serving, if I if I die while I'm still serving as a pastor, I want you to bury me, you know, whatever city we're in, um, but I want you to bury me with my feet at the headstone, so that at the resurrection, I can look out and see everybody as you were talking about the ones that we baptized the ones we confirmed the ones who've gone before us in the faith uh, so the idea that the, the pastor's kind of buried almost upside down of uh, the feet at the headstone so that when they get up at the resurrection they can see these people face to face and that they can um, get to share in that that joy of that last day as we together face-to-face meet with our Lord and Savior. It's going to be a, um, an absolutely amazingly awesome experience. Mm. Yes, it will be. What uh, Come, Lord Jesus. That's, that's just all you can do is, is pray. Right. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. So, so in the meantime, while we wait for him to come, we continue to be fed by God's Word. And Paul continues then, going back into now the historical circumstances, the reality at this time of the letter is that they weren't all able to go. And Paul says, you know, we couldn't bear it any longer. Someone needed to come to you. So we, that's Paul and Silas, we stayed in Athens and we sent Timothy to you. And he's got some pretty spectacular words as he describes Timothy, the one that was sent. Pastor Peter, what do you, what do you see as, as we move into chapter three now? Yeah, Paul's got some very high praise for Timothy, even though Timothy's elsewhere in Scripture kind of described as a a younger pastor. You know, Paul calls him uh, a brother in the faith, but even more than that, um, the the English Standard Version translation that I'm using uh, talks about Timothy as God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So Timothy's not just Paul and Silas's co-worker, but God's. Like, that's awesome stuff. Um, you know, we often think of, of pastors and maybe some other Christians who are leaders in the church that, oh, you guys work for God. Well, really, the, the awesome truth is we get to work with God to, to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in need. Um, we get to share in, um, you know, some of the most beautiful times of people's lives as they're you know, getting married and having kids and having those kids baptized and, and brought through confirmation. Um, but pastors, we also get this privilege of, of being with people at some of the lowest points in their life, too. Someone's sick, um, someone's dying, uh, and you get to bring Christ to those people in those moments. And even, even lay people can go and, and share the love of Christ with people in those moments. And it's, it's just a, an amazingly awesome picture here that we have of of Timothy, that he's God's co-worker, um, that he gets to go and, and share this gospel of, of Jesus Christ, because, um, you know, just as a, a reminder, this is the very thing they're getting persecuted for. It's this gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, like you were saying before, they're willing to put their lives on the line um, to tell people about Jesus, because they would rather die a physical, earthly death than have someone under their watch die a spiritual death apart from Christ. Like, that's just how much these people absolutely love these folks, that Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, as you're saying, just they couldn't wait any longer. Like, we, we, we had to send someone to you, so we're sending Timothy, and, and here's who Timothy is. He's our brother 
He's our co-worker in Christ, and he's going to come and uh, establish you in your faith. He's going to um, set you up, get you going. If you, if you have not uh, maybe had an experience in the faith before, and if you are um, one of the faithful, he's going to continue to exhort you in the faith. He's going to strengthen you and encourage you and keep you going. And, and both of those things had been just tremendously difficult considering the, the persecution and things that they faced. It was not easy work for them, to say the least, especially as, as Timothy's going to go to Thessalonica here and, and try to kind of pick up where um, Paul and Silas have, have left off. So, I, I want to real quick just correct something. Yeah. I said earlier, um, Silas did not go to Athens with Paul. Silas actually stayed in Berea with Timothy. Later, Timothy went to um, Thessalonica by himself. So Paul actually went by himself to Athens. Just, just real quick. Oh, to, okay. So okay. That, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, Pastor Peter. I have a hard time sometimes in the Book of Acts keeping it, it straight. Where is where everybody is all the time? Where, where, so I, uh, I was. Yeah. So I went I, back I, and looked. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I was looking just at to, like the, the map, that. and it's like trying to even just follow the map of where Paul's going. Half the time is hard enough, let alone who's with him. So. Right. Yeah. So so Paul goes to Athens by himself. Timothy ends up in Thessalonica by himself while Silas is elsewhere. Eventually, both Silas and Timothy come to Paul in Corinth. And that's the historical context. But to go back to what you were saying about there Timothy, it, it really is just an amazing thing that, that he says about Timothy here, too. Not only just the, the honor that is bestowed upon a Christian who is called God's co-worker. I mean, I think of what Jesus says in John 15, where he tells his disciples, you're my friends, right? I mean, this is just a, right. a, a great honor that he bestows upon us, not because of anything we've done, but because of all that he's done, but also just the implications for, for what it means for the office of the, the pastoral ministry, too, that, that Timothy is called our brother and God's co-worker. You know, Paul, Paul's not distinguishing between himself as an apostle and Timothy as as a pastor, right? I mean, he he says that Timothy too is charged with this wonderful task of preaching God's word, and and I think that that brings us great comfort today as to to who our pastors are and what they're given to do for us. That that when we listen to our pastors and they're preaching God's word faithfully to us, that's that's as good as the Apostle Paul coming and preaching to us, which is just a, fan, a fantastic thing to think about. And we've got, I mean, there's there's a lot that we could talk about here, Pastor Peter, but I do want to make sure that we, we keep going because right. there's there's plenty to talk about in the other the other parts of the text too. So so Timothy, Paul's uh, Paul's brother, the co-worker of God, right? The, not And not that, I think we just, let me pause real quick to talk about that just for a second. It's not like we're bringing our ideas to the table. Right. I mean, it's not like it's not like sharper iron where you're sharpening me and I'm sharpening you. We're working on this together to be God's co-worker. It's not that Timothy's bringing his ideas to the table and, and God says, oh, that, that's a good idea, Timothy. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit different than that. Right. God is using right. Timothy. He's working through him. And, and yet Timothy is still called a co-worker, which, again, is just such, such a great honor. So um, just to make sure we, we understand that. It's kind of like then, one of those group go ahead. projects where someone does 100% of the work and uh, the other person just kind of was sitting there, but they still got credit. Um, granted, Timothy's doing some work, right. but the vast majority of it's like, hey, God's the one who sent his son to rescue and redeem us. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, the work that, that <laughs> Timothy is given to do, because he is, I mean, this is Timothy's work in the sense that he participates in it, he does it, but he gets no credit for it because it is the Word of God that's doing the work. Paul's made that case very clearly in the first two chapters, and it, and it stays true here. And so, yeah, when, when Timothy or any pastor is a co-worker of God, it is that sense that God is the one doing the work through that pastor, and what a joy it is to be included in that work. So Paul continues, and he comes back then in the verse 3, to this matter of, of afflictions. He knows that the persecutions that the Thessalonians are facing threaten them. He says something pretty interesting there in verse 3. You know that we are destined for this. What, what's he talking about that they are destined for? Yeah. Um, so Paul's telling beforehand, you guys know we're destined for these afflictions. We're destined for hardship. We're destined for persecution. And this is something that's a little off-putting, maybe especially to, to newer Christians, because... Some folks might think, well, um, if God loves me, he's going to want to give me what I want, right? He's going to want to give me health, wealth, and happiness. He's going to want to make me 
feel good. He's not going to want to do anything that will will make me uncomfortable. He's certainly not going to do anything that would put me in harm's way, right? Wrong. <laughs> uh, God's people are destined for persecution. This is something that Jesus talks about repeatedly in the Gospels. This is something you see throughout the life of all the folks who have, have professed faith in Christ. Um, God's word promises persecution comes to his people. It just will. Uh, it always has and it always will until the day that Jesus comes back again. Um, but the cool thing is is that God doesn't leave us alone in this persecution. He promises to be with us always, that he's already um, endured the cross for our sake. He knows what it means to be persecuted at the point of death. Um, and he knows that his people, sadly, are destined for persecution uh, until the day he comes back. Um, but he also promises, like I said, to be with us in that persecution. I think that's why um, Paul says, you know, in verse 4 here, um, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we're going to suffer affliction just as, it is, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So Paul told them beforehand, guys, we're going to face persecution. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, so be prepared when these things take place. Uh, I mean, because Paul and Silas, they narrowly escaped this mob in Thessalonica the first time, and yet they're, um, I was going to say crazy enough, but it's not crazy. They're gospel-inspired enough to go back and, and do it all again. Uh, to go out and to, to share that love and grace with um, people, even though they know that they're destined for more persecution when they come back. Yeah, that that is an amazing thing that, that Jesus does. He promises persecution throughout the Gospels, but he promises that it won't overcome. I mean, there's, we were, I've got a group of, of pastors down here that we, we read the, the upcoming texts regularly, and we were reading from Luke 21 in the previous church here, and, and, and Jesus talks about the, the persecution that's going to come upon his disciples there in Jerusalem before its destruction. And, and on the one hand, you've got Jesus telling his disciples, you're going to have a mouth and a wisdom from me that they can't contradict. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're going to be delivered up by even your family, and some of you are going to die. But then he says, not a hair of your head will perish, right? So, so these right. promises are true at the same time. And, and Christ tells his disciples ahead of time so that they will stand when it happens. And Paul's doing the same thing for the Thessalonians ahead of time so that they too will stand because the worst thing that he could happen, that could happen to them in Paul's mind, and this is where he gets in, in verse five, is that their faith would be lost and Paul's labor would be in vain. Take us into to verse five, Pastor Peter. Yeah. Um, so Paul says here, uh, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer. So we've got that again, like just twice in these couple of verses, like we couldn't bear it any longer. We had to do something. Um, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul sends Timothy to go, um, check on the Thessalonians to inquire of their faith because Paul's worried that Satan with all of his with all of his tricks and all of his wiles, might try to tempt the folks in Thessalonica to unbelief because of persecution, um, because of the persecution that they're facing. Because especially, I think, for someone who's a new Christian, if they have come to faith, they, they believe in Christ as their Savior, and all of a sudden they look around and everything around them is leading to suffering and pain and torture and death, that can make a lot of new folks to the faith say, <laughs> uh, maybe this Christianity thing isn't for me. Like, I'm, I'm out. Um, and Paul worried that his preaching might be in vain if they fell in unbelief. Um, I know one of my biggest concerns as a pastor is that um, you've got someone who's, who's come to faith, and then later on, because of certain hardships in life or, or struggles, they reject the gospel. It's, it's probably one of the most heartbreaking things in all of creation is to, to see someone who had the faith later reject it. Um, to me, that's almost worse than, you know, not knowing there's a God at all. Um, when I was in high school, 
I had a, a friend who was very influential in my faith. He actually brought me to church um, when I didn't want to go, uh, things like that. He was very influential of, of, of having me go to church with him and, and make sure that I was, was there with him in worship. And after high school, we kind of lost touch. Um, but as I went to school to, to, to be a pastor and, and later got out as a, as a pastor in my first call, um, I randomly found this, this friend of mine on, on Facebook again, uh, and he was an avowed atheist. Like, I don't know kind of what happened between high school and, and when I got a hold of him again. But to me, it was one of the most heartbreaking things of, like, you had the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you, you know God's promises for you, and yet you're saying, I don't need that. Like, to me, that is just absolutely heart-wrenching. Uh, and Paul's worried here that the the same thing might have happened, that the tempter might have come along and taken this, this word away from them and that they would fall into unbelief like my friend did. And it's just absolutely, absolutely heartbreaking. And Paul doesn't want to see that for this, this people that he loves so much. And and he will get a good report from Timothy, which we will find out tomorrow in our study of, of the next verses. Pastor Peter, we've got just under two minutes left here, and I don't want to end it quite on that. Give us a, a summary of all this right. text that we've looked at and how it points us to Christ. Yeah, well, um, you know, the, the whole kind of theme of this series that we're doing is is that surely Christ is coming. And as we wait for Christ to come into the world again, we, we continue on in the faith despite all of the, the struggles that we might face, despite the persecution, um, we've been established by God's word of promise. Uh, that word exhorts us and encourages us in our faith, uh, that as we live in these last days and as we might even face persecution for our faith, uh, we know that we don't face it alone. We face it with Christ and that um, when he does come again in glory, and, and he will, um, that we, as his people who have been brought to him um, through the word and through the sacraments, we receive the, the wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life and salvation that only Christ alone can give. And as Paul is, is talking with the folks here in, in Thessalonica, he wants that same gospel message to, to permeate for them as well, to, to continue to be established and encouraged by the the word of god the especially that word of gospel and and christ's grace and forgiveness for his people pastor paul pater is the pastor at shepherd of the ridge lutheran church in north ridgeville ohio and hope lutheran church in sheffield village ohio helping us this morning with first thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 through chapter 3 verse 5 pastor pater thank you so much for your time today all right thank you very much it's great to be on again I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.